Well, thank you, student choir. And uh, where's Christian Jant? Christian, come on up here. Did he make it down yet? Here he is. He's a hustling here. He's young. He can do it. I want to introduce you to one of our seniors. This is Christian. Christian is headed to Gardner-Webb, and uh, he is a swimmer. Doesn't he look like a swimmer? Isn't he built like a swimmer? He is, uh, he is heading over there to swim, and an incredible, credible young man, and the Lord has used him mightily throughout our student ministry. And, and so I've invited Christian to come and read our text for today, 1 Kings chapter 3 this morning. Go ahead and turn there. And let me just encourage you as you're finding your way, 1 Kings chapter 3, if you're new to Bible study, uh, there's a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you, or if you're uh, go ahead and turn on your digital device as well. You can find 1 Kings there. It's in the Old Testament as we continue in our reading plan. And as you're finding your place there, uh, we are in this reading plan, as many of you know, in which we're walking through the Scriptures together. And some of you are, are tracking right along, and it has been a joy to hear from you repeatedly about what God is teaching you through the Word of God. And as I preach from the Word of God, so in your bulletin, uh, that you on the back side you'll see there where our reading is for this week and what I'm preaching out of, Lord willing, next week. So we're continuing all the way through. And here's the thing, some of you might be a little bit behind. Some of you are brand new to this. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. If you're behind, catch up when you can. Instead of uh, watching golf or the basketball game to, uh, this evening, maybe take a little bit of time just to catch up when you can, all right? If you're new to this, jump in where you can. It doesn't matter. Just dive into the Word of God with us. It's been an incredible journey, and you guys are doing great. But you just might need a little encouragement today as you come, and I'm encouraging you. The Word of God is rich and is powerful, and in our times together, I'm convinced of this, that it is making our times on Sunday morning in the Word even more richer and deeper because you, because you are engaging in the Word of God. So thank you for that. Let's stand now, if you have your place, 1 Kings chapter 3 for the reading of the Word. Christian, we love you, man, and can't wait to see what God is going to do to you. Uh, with you, verse 5 of chapter 3 in 1 Kings. Go ahead and lead us. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I do? What shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him, kept from him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. Thank you, Christian. May the Lord bless you, brother. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. What an incredible passage that we come to because really it signals the start of Solomon's kingdom. Now, if your eyes go up just a few verses, you see there that the Lord established 
the kingdom for Solomon. So this is really, as he comes to Gibeon, which is outside Jerusalem, this is really where he is coming to the Lord, signaling the beginning of this new reign. So he offers sacrifices to God, and and God comes to him with an incredible proposition. He says, Solomon, it is now time for you to govern the people. Ask anything, and I'll give it to you. Now, let me ask you this. If the Lord came to you tonight, Sunday evening, he came to you and he said, ask anything, and I'll give it to you, how would you respond? For our parents, I was thinking about this this week. Last week we had child dedication, little babies. Today we dedicated seniors. So in the span of seven weeks, we've covered 18 years, if you will. Those moms and those dads of those little ones, I bet if we were to ask some of those parents... If you could have anything, what would it be? You know what they might say? If I remember correctly, back to my days as a parent, sleep. (laughs) If If I could sleep because I'm just so physically exhausted from the feedings, from the kids getting up at night, if I could just get some physical rest, if I could just get some sleep, that is all I'd need and I'd be okay. But I'm thinking of these parents who are sending their kids, watching them graduate and sending them off to college. You know what I think they might say? Sleep. (laughs) But sleep not because of physical rest, because they need emotional rest. They're sending those kids off to college, those kids that they've nurtured and cared for and loved for 18 years. They are now leaving the nest. They are now branching out on their own. They are moving into a a job or into college. And those mamas and those daddies, they are probably thinking, oh, if I could just get some emotional rest. For all of us, if the Lord came to us and asked us, hey, I'll give you anything you want. What is it? What would you ask for? Some of us um, might ask for the slowing down of the aging process. The other day, someone said to me, hey, um, Pastor, uh, as you get a little bit older, have you noticed uh, your, your body shape changing? We were talking about food and what we eat. And uh, what I took that to mean was either I'm, getting, I'm gaining a little bit more weight or I'm getting older. Either one is not good, Right? We wish we could slow down the aging process. We we wish uh, we would have better health. Some of you having health concerns, and you know what it is. Oh, if only this pain or this ache or this sickness or this or this cancer could go away. Very very worthy thing to ask for. Some of you uh, are pretty are are pretty fanatical about your sports, including your pastor. I might wish that the Dallas Cowboys would win a Super Bowl finally. After 20 years, the Cowboys haven't won in a generation. You might wish for your team to win the national championship this year. In your business, you might ask for that promotion that you've been longing for. You might ask for that change in personnel or that change in strategy in the office or that turning of the tide in the financial markets so that your job could further and advance. Whatever it might be, all of us right now are thinking of something that is near and dear to our heart, that if God would give this one thing, this one answer, whatever it might be, we would find what? Relief, or peace, or comfort, or certainty, or control, 
or satisfaction or fulfillment, whatever it might be, the longings of our heart are very much centered around ourself. So when God comes to this new king, it's an astounding answer because he doesn't ask anything particular for himself, but he asks for wisdom. He asks for an ability that he doesn't have and an ability to do something on behalf for God and for his agenda. He asks for the ability to lead God's people. And so what we want to do this morning is we come to this text. I just want to walk through with you 1 Kings chapter 3 and walk through what does it mean to put ourselves into a position in which we're asking God for an answer, not something for ourselves, not any particular item or any particular thing that fulfills the priority of our life right now, whatever it might be, but instead we're asking God, to give us something that we need for a lifetime. And that is wisdom. And that is the process of pursuing God and living godly every single day. So 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to him in verse 5. Ask what I shall give you. Thought number one this morning. Acknowledge God's faithful character. Look at verse 6. Solomon acknowledges God's faithful character. Here's the very first step. And Solomon says to him, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. So Solomon, the very first thing he does when God says, ask, Solomon acknowledges God. He acknowledges God's faithful character. He says, God, listen, you have been a God who has been faithful to your promises. You've been faithful to your covenant. You said that if my father honored you and kept your commandments faithfully with an upright heart, you would be loyal to him. Solomon here is speaking in terms of God's covenant with his people, his promises to those that he loves. And he said, God, I am looking back now at what you have done, and you've been incredibly faithful to my father. You have been true to what you said, to the point where you have honored him and have given him a son to carry on the line, the throne. And it's me. And so, God, before I even ask, I want to acknowledge you. Before I even look inside to kind of figure out what it is that I need, I'm going to acknowledge your faithfulness. This is an absolutely wonderful reminder of how we're to respond to God. In our need for whatever it might be, an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. Here's what we do. You ready? When we lack that thing, whatever it might be, we're, doing, we're looking a couple of different ways. We're looking way ahead for the answer. Oh God, if only I could have the answer. Our, our focus, our heart, our attention is on the answer. Or, here's the second direction we look, inward. 
the emotions, the feelings, the pressure, the hurt, the anxiety, the worry, and it, beca- and it can become so overwhelming. We're looking far ahead to something that hasn't happened yet. We're looking to our feelings and inside. And here's what Solomon says. I'm going to look up and I'm going to acknowledge just how incredibly faithful you have been to me. Folks, don't overlook the faithfulness of Almighty God. This week, this week, this thought hit me. How many times am I looking ahead, I'm looking inside, but I don't see God's faithfulness staring me right in the face? This morning, this morning, even before coming out here, I was sitting in my office, I was going through my notes, received a text from a great, great guy, just such an encourager. And I texted him back this morning and I said, God has been faithful through you. God has shown his his faithfulness through you. How has God shown faithfulness? He shows it through people. He shows it through his mercy. He shows it through his grace, his gifts, his goodness to you. Be looking today. Here's how God has been faithful to me as I'm looking ahead, I'm looking inside. God is faithful to his promises. And Solomon said, you have been true to your character That's a down payment for what's to come. But then secondly, notice what he does. He acknowledges something else. He acknowledges that God has placed him in this position. Verse 7, look at the very first part of it. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my David father, or my father David. He acknowledges, hey, God has put me in in this position. You know, speaking of the king, speaking of ascending to the throne, I don't know how many of you got up at dawn yesterday morning to watch the, um, I almost said the funeral, to watch the wedding, (laughs) the wedding of Prince Harry. And um, my wife got up at 5.15. I heard her stirring, and I thought, there's no way I'm getting up. And I just laid there, and I thought, I might as well get up. So I go out there, and I'm in tech. I grab my coffee, and I'm intending to watch just a little bit of the, of the wedding, and I end up watching the entire thing. And it was fun to see, but then as I saw the queen and, and, then, and William and, and Charles and all of them, uh, th- this past week, I, I began to uh, walk through, what, well, who would be king after uh, the queen? Because the queen is in her 90s. Did you see her sitting there? She looked great in early night. And Prince Philip is there. He's 96 years old. They look great there. But who would be king or queen after the queen? What is the line of succession? So I got, I got a little, little help here this morning, and the guys are going to help me with this. Number one, if uh, the queen were to die or to abdicate the throne, number one, the very first person to take the throne would be Prince Charles. You see him there, so that's your next king. Number two would be, who would it be? Be Prince William, all right? Prince William, they said, they said that one of the requirements for being king or being in the royal uh, family or ascending to the throne is that you're balding. I don't know about that. It's a little jab there that someone said at Prince William. I like the guy, right? But number three would be whom? His son. There's your new king right there, all right? There's your new king. He's, he is going to be next in line. But after him is this sweet little gal, Prince, Princess Charlotte. Now, this is interesting. I didn't know this. That uh, in 2013, 
parliament made a law that said uh, that a female, Prince Charlotte, could ascend to the throne over her brothers. I didn't realize that that was not the case until 2013, but she's next in line. After Prince Charlotte is this guy right there. You don't really see him well, do you? That's the newest one. That's um, Louis, I believe. And then certainly, uh, number six, last but not least, is the groom himself, Prince Harry. Now, I go through all of this just to remind you that there's a line of succession, and this is the order in which the kings and the queens are supposed to come. But what if Queen Elizabeth said this? I know it's supposed to go Charles and William and George and Charlotte and Louis and Harry. I know that's the case. But you know what? I like Harry. Harry's got a full head of hair. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him king. And, and because, because of that, I, I, he, she goes to Parliament. She goes to whatever she has to do. And she says, based on the authority, based on the authority that I have and that Parliament has, based on my will and based on my wisdom that Harry is going to make a better king, I am going to make him king. Now, I don't know if she can do that, but let's say she did it. And all of these others are bypassed for Harry. This is the position Solomon's in. Do you realize this? When Solomon's king, we kind of naturally take it for granted that, you know, Solomon just is the king after David. If you grew up reading the Bible, if, you, if you've been in Sunday school or church for a long time, yeah, Solomon follows David. But you know what? By the time that this is happening, do you understand that there were David's sons who were vying for the throne? There were three of them who wanted the throne and they die. A fourth one a fourth one has a conspiracy among the leaders there to make himself king. Nathan, the prophet, and Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, hear of this. They go to David, and David, because of his lack of leadership, or maybe he just forgot whatever reason, he has to step in and say Solomon's king. Solomon wasn't in the line of succession when it comes to the order of his birth. He was younger. He wasn't as mature. And oh, by the way, he doesn't come from the greatest background. I mean, his, his father committed adultery with his mom. There was one baby who died. Her husband was murdered. That's not exactly the great story to tell about a king. He has all of this, but Solomon says, God, if you're coming to me and asking me, let me say this to you. You have put me in this position. You're sovereign. Some of you this morning are wondering, why am I here? Why am I in this position I'm not talking about any sin that leads you into consequences. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that, that God is so sovereign that you're just a robot and you don't have things that you choose to do and decisions. That you, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. When you look at the text, when you look at the Bible, and you look at all the things that were going on around Solomon, people were sinning, God was correcting, people were conspiring, people were forgetting what was going on. All that's happening, but God in his sovereignty says, I'm putting you there for a reason. God has you where you are for a reason. And here's what you think. And here's what Solomon thinks. Thought number three, I can't do this. Number three, acknowledge your inadequacy. Acknowledge your inadequacy. Solomon says, look at verse seven. 
And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Look at this. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. They're so great. There's so many to be numbered or counted for the multitude, the weight of the people, all of the tasks that I have to do. God, I am inadequate in my own strength. I'm like a little child. Yesterday, we were having dinner with some friends, and they had... They have little ones, and one of the little sweet little girls was sitting right next to me, and we uh, grilled out chicken and corn and vegetables, and you know what? That sweet little girl, she could not cut up that chicken for herself. She could not get into that corn on the cob. She could not get into those vegetables. So what? The mamas and everyone is cutting it up for and putting on a plate for her so that what she, she can eat. She's, she's a little child. She just hasn't navigated how to use a knife and a fork just yet. She's inadequate to do the simple task. Here is what Solomon is saying. God, you put me here. I'm inadequate. I confess to you this one thing. In my humility, I don't know how to lead your people. I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the experience to do it. Literally, the text is saying this. I don't have the ability to carry out my duties like you want me to carry them out. I need your help. I need your help. This is an incredible sign of humility. And this is how, this is how God's heart is moved on behalf of his people when he puts us in a position. He knows, he knows what our abilities, our inabilities are. He knows what our strengths and our weaknesses are. This is why he puts you in this position. Not because you know what you're doing, but because he wants you to depend upon him. Wisdom, listen, wisdom is not having all the answers. That's a know-it-all. <laughs> wisdom is depending upon the one who does have all the answers. That's godly wisdom. When you see a wise man, when you see someone and you say, there is wisdom there, you might have someone pictured in your mind, what do you see? You see someone who is not proud or arrogant or boastful about everything that they know. When you see someone who is wise, you see someone who is what? Contented, restful, confident, not in themselves, but in what God has revealed in his word, what God has revealed throughout their life, throughout the experiences God has given. And there, with wise people, there is a certain pace to their life. It's not rushed. It's not frantic. It's not hurried. It's not panicking. There is this sense that what? That I might not have all the answers or I might not know everything that you're asking me to know but I know the God who can help us understand what it is God wants us to know. Number four, number four, Solomon, before he even, 
before he even gets to it. Number four, acknowledge that you're the steward, not the owner. What do you mean by that, pastor? Look at verse nine. So he asks, give your servant what? An understanding mind to govern your people. He asks for a heart that understands right and wrong. He asks for a mind to understand how to navigate and lead and shepherd the people of God. He asks for, he asks for wisdom in, in making judgments in legal matters. He asks for wisdom in the building campaigns. He asks for wisdom in, prosperity, in seeing the country come to prosperity and guarding against their enemies. He asks for wisdom for all of these things. But notice what he says. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern whose people? your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, whose people? Your great people. Here's what I mean in number four when I say acknowledge that you're the steward, not the owner. Here's how we think of our children. Here's how we think of our career. Here's how we think of our, of, of our church. Here's how we think of everything in front of us. When God comes to say, what can I give you? Here's how we think of it as this is mine. We need to change the language. Eleven times by my count in the passage that we're studying this morning, eleven times Solomon uses the pronouns either you or your. You have done this. Your servant. Your people. He is continually recognizing this principle before he even begins. This is your people, and you want them governed by your law, by your ways, and therefore, here's what I need. I know where my heart will take me. I need you to give me a heart and a mind to govern your people your way. And if we are honest with ourselves, the pronoun that we use most often is probably I, or my, or mine, when it comes to the decisions in front of us. And Solomon gives us a wonderful example. This is all yours. So what happens? Verse 10, it pleased the Lord. Read with me. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and haven't asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to, to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, this is key, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then... I will lengthen your days. God is pleased with this. You can read on this week. You can read on today and see how incredibly successful Solomon was. It says that people from the world, the nations, came to Solomon to hear his wisdom. He was knowledgeable in science and in building. He, he, was just, uh, he, he wrote songs and he wrote poetry. This guy had wisdom just pouring out of him. And here, here's the last point that I want to make before we close up our time this morning. Thought number five. And, and I think this is, this is key. It's, it's simply this. Be brave in the Lord. Be brave in the Lord. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about insight. We're talking about knowledge, right? Yeah, we are. We are. 
But here's, here's what will happen to us. We'll ask God for wisdom, and he'll maybe grant us some insight as to what we're to do. But you know what happens oftentimes? Notice it with Solomon. Notice in that passage I just read, that God said, if you, what, walk in my, I'm going to give you this wisdom, and if you walk in my ways, you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful. Here is the challenge, is not just to receive the wisdom, the insight to see what God is doing, but the courage to actually do it. Because what good is it to have the wisdom? What good is it to have insight for living? What good is it to understand what God says to be afraid to actually do it? So that's why over in chapter 2, turn there just for a second. Over in chapter 2 of 1 Kings, David is on his deathbed. He's about to die. Verse 1 of chapter 2, just a page over. Look at it. When David's time to draw to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong and show yourself a man. It's a military term, which means be strong or be brave. Be courageous. I know there's fear on the other side, soldier, but I need you to march and take the hill. Be strong. Be courageous and do it. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. Doing what? Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. And it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and whatever and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word. Listen. Be brave in the Lord. Be strong. We might know what to do, but here's the hard part. Actually doing it. And David said, here's what you need. You, you need courage to walk in the way. It's going to be tough to follow, to obey sometimes. It's going to be difficult. And it's going to look so different compared to what other people are saying, what other people are doing. You're going to run, uh, you're going to rub across the grain. It's going to be different for you. And other people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you know what? That's not really the way in which you're supposed to walk. But if you know that's what God has called you to do, you have to be brave. And God's wisdom, listen, God's wisdom when we walk in his ways doesn't always look like it should. God's wisdom when we walk in his ways sometimes causes us to, to run counter to what others, even fellow church members, fellow believers might say. Certainly the world, and let me close with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you want an example of what wisdom is this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, Paul is writing to this church. This is New Testament now. And Paul is writing to them. And the, and the Corinthians had this, had this pride. They had this puffed up sense that, that wisdom, they had access to this wisdom. And wisdom is, is everything that you're to, to uh, aspire to. And if you did that, you were like this spiritual elite. And Paul comes in and he says, here is true wisdom. Here is true wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, here it is, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the encouraging part. You ready? Here it is. God has put you in a place where you need wisdom, and you think I'm weak, and you think I'm inadequate. Here's what God wants you to do, to acknowledge him. Yeah, absolutely, I'm weak. But then to look to Christ, to look to the gospel. I I heard it this week. I was listening to a sermon from a pastor in North Carolina. He was preaching on Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I love the point he made. If you're weak, you're right where God wants you. We think the opposite. We've got to be strong. We've got to have all the answers. We've got to be confident. But if you're weak and you're looking to God and depending upon him, and you're acknowledging him for everything, and you're ready to walk, and you're brave, this is what Christ did for you. The one who came to earth, and boy, it looked different. But he said, oh, I acknowledge you, Father, your agenda, your ways, your people, Remember when he kneeled down in the garden? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me in my weakness. I don't want to do this. But I'll walk. I'll be brave. I'll be brave and I'll just walk to the cross so that I might redeem and save your people. This is for you, Father. There's our model, but there's also the means by which we have power We have power through Christ and through this gospel. We have access to the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day where the church calendar, the church universal, recognizes that this is the calendar day following Easter, following Resurrection Sunday, in which the Holy Spirit came down and the Holy Spirit poured himself out on his church. You have access to that incredible power because Jesus, who was foolish, was truly truly wise for you and for me. Follow Christ. Follow his model. Follow the one who in his weakness and in his poverty and in his suffering, he walked the road of courage and bravery so that you might follow him and you might have access to wisdom and power and strength that is God's waiting for you if you simply ask. Will you pray with me right now? Father, your people need wisdom. This pastor needs wisdom. My wife and I, we need wisdom, but we need the wisdom that comes through your son. And we need the courage 
to be brave and strong and to walk in the way that you reveal to us. And so, Lord, for your people right now who are crying out, Lord, I need wisdom, would you give it to them? But may they, before any answer, may they see Christ. May they see Christ unveiled. May they see him revealed, uncovered before their eyes. And may they see in this person that Paul says he is our wisdom. May they cling to him and long for him and love him and follow him so that, so that you will lead your people in the way they need to go. Thank you, Lord, for Christ and all he has given to us. And we pray this prayer in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.